right, so uh, when Mike asked me to, to step in, I uh, had a few ideas of maybe what to pursue and uh, had a few honestly saves kind of Bible studies that we've done in the past and uh, Psalm 42 was one of those. And as I read it again, I was just um, struck by how timely I think this will be, not just for our class, but uh, for the state of our nation. Uh, for the persecution that is likely to come. Um, I, I trust that you'll find great comfort in the words of the psalmist here. And I think, um, you know, when you ask the question, why is this important as we approach any text, um, I think two reasons. Uh, remember reading a book by D.A. Carson, and it, it was called How Long, O Lord, It Was on Suffering. And uh, he said, if you live long enough in this world, you will suffer. If you live long enough in this world, you will suffer. And we don't take that lightly. Um, you know, that is something that is true, we know from Scripture, um, but it is not something that we fear. Um, Christ promised persecution and trials, and these things are things that we will have to endure. So either you're in the midst of a trial this morning, and this word will speak to you, I pray, or you have a trial coming. Um, and this will prepare your hearts for that trial. And so that's my prayer. I know it's been a balm to my soul in times of trial. Um, so I pray that that's the case for you as well. So let's, um, let's start with a little background and overview. If you notice on the outline, um, I have a lot of questions. It may be a little ambitious time-wise to uh, get through all this, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how things go. Um, and I do want, um, you know, because I'm a professor at Liberty, I'm used to a little back and forth. So, um, you know, as, as the questions come up, uh, if, you want to, if you want a dialogue, that's great. Um, and I'll kind of bring home some of the points that I studied as we go through there. So to give a little bit of background about this text, the author is unknown, although many attribute it to David. Um, it could be an unknown psalmist, so I'm going to refer to the psalmist. Uh, because the author is unknown, the date is also uh, up for debate. Those who think it's David think that this was written in the 1000 BC range, um, potentially when he was uh, running from enemies. Um, or others who attribute it to a son of Korah think 800 to 500 BC is kind of the range that we're looking at. Regardless, we can pull the, the themes from 42 and um, kind of address those which are more important. Location of this one, um, I kind of included a little map there. Uh, my Israel geography is not great, um, so I had to look up the map and I thought you guys might find it helpful. It's kind of blurry, I think, on your handout, but if you look all the way up at the top of the map, there's a little picture of a mountain that's Mount Hermon, um, and that's where this psalm was most likely written, and we'll see why that's the case in a second. It's 125 miles north of Jerusalem, so it's separated from the holy city by a lot. 125 miles is a long journey on foot, so uh, the psalmist was separated most likely by a long distance. Uh, what was the occasion? Why, why did the psalmist write this? <clears throat> um, this was, you can see in Psalm 42, to the choir, mas choir master, um, a maskil of the sons of Korah. Um, a maskil is kind of an unknown Hebrew word. 
Uh, they think that it means a teaching psalm because the root word means instruction. Um, and so that's kind of what we can gather from this. And that's highly important because as we look at this psalm as a teaching psalm, um, that's something that we're going to want to remember because it's the purpose. And we get to the purpose in just a minute. Um, so what are the circumstances in which the psalmist write? This kind of goes, still goes with occasion. Uh, the psalmist, again, is separated. Uh, we're going to see that. Is separated from Jerusalem, separated from fellowship, separated from the temple. He's being chided and persecuted. You can see these themes that we're going to start pulling out and hopefully find great comfort in as well. Um, and so <clears throat> lastly, um, before we talk about the purpose, a lot of people will attribute Psalm 42 and 43 uh, to the same author and that they go together. Um, so I found that pretty interesting as well. Uh, if you look at 43, it ends with the same refrain that you see in Psalm 42 twice. Um, and so these actually, in the some of the early Hebrew manuscripts were the same psalm. Um, also, one thing to note, again, this is just something I found really interesting. 43 is one of the only psalms that doesn't have a title. Um, most of them have a title in front of them, but if you look in your Bibles, you'll notice that Psalm 43 uh, does not have a title. So it's probably a continuation of the same psalm. We're already being ambitious this morning, trying to get through 11 verses, so we're not going to go through 43. Uh, but, I, but I recommend that you read it um, as, you, as you go through and study this. So what is the purpose of this psalm? Well, the purpose, again, we said is a teaching psalm, and I think I have that written out there. It's a teaching psalm to guide Believers um, to equip believers to battle trial. Um, so again, that is the overarching purpose of this psalm. So um, let's dig in here to Psalm 42. Um, if I could have, if, if someone's there, could someone read verses 1 through 5? We're going to take that as a first chunk. Yeah, thanks. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Day and night I have only tears for food, while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, Where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you, even from distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Uzzah. Great. Thank you. All right. So let's look at verse 1 here. As, this, as the psalmist experiences his persecution, we see... The famous, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the song, As the Deer Pants for Waters and My Soul Pants for You. It's a very common line that we see. Um, and we kind of, if you hear it a lot, you get used to hearing it and you don't really think about what that means. So what I really want to ask are the questions that are there. Uh, what does this imagery tell us about the psalmist's condition? What do, you, what do you think of when you think of a deer or literally stag is the translation panting for a running stream of water. I don't know if we have any hunters in here. Who's thirsty. Thirsty, right? Yeah. yeah, so it tells us about the condition, right? And um, 
And if we look at the, the text, we actually see that that thirst is extremely intense. Um, it's not just like, I'm gonna stop by McDonald's drive-through for because I'm kind of thirsty. This is someone who is destitute. It's a, it's a picture of a deer running from predators, which is what this psalmist is experiencing, and, and longing for that rejuvenation, longing for that water. Yeah? I, uh, two out of the three deer that I killed this year, I ended up finding in the, in the creek. Oh. And I was talking to a friend who's a hunter, a much more experienced hunter than me, and what he said is it's pretty common that when a deer is wounded mortally, that you'll find them go and they, they just naturally go for mm. the water. And I don't want to over spiritualize yeah. that. Yeah. But the heavens and all creation seems yeah. to declare his majesty. Yeah. Hey, did you, uh, did you kill the deer with your car? <laughs> <laughs> I had to back all the way to the creek. <laughs> no, that's good. That is, that is good. Yeah, and that is the exact picture that we get of the psalmist here. It, he is wounded, he is, um, he is separated, he is um, longing for those flowing streams. Um, where is his longing directed? If you look at the second part. It's pretty, pretty obvious, I think. It's, it's towards God, right? Um, and that's highly important as we look at the model that the psalmist gives us of how to suffer, um, his longing is poured out towards God. How many times do we experience suffering in which our immediate um, response is to pour into ourselves um, or just reclude? Um, and I think we see the psalmist here starting off with that proper longing. Um, my soul longs for you, oh God. I'm dry, I'm destitute, I need you. And so that is, that is highly, highly important. Um, verse 2 follows up on this. <clears throat> and if we see the word repeat, or we see it repeated, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Um, <clears throat> one, one comment here, if, if you look at the question on the outline, the psalmist chooses some key words that I just want to unpack a little bit. So he chooses soul, which actually can be translated whole person. And then living God. So um, what, what do we think is the significance there of whole person? Let's just start with that one. So my whole person uh, thirsts for God. My soul, my innermost being thirsts for God. Right, that's great. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's perfect. I think that's the picture we get here. It's not just the psalmist's mind or physical being or emotional. You know, we see a lot of emotion poured out here. It is his whole being. It's all. It's the mind. It's the body. It's the soul being poured out. Um, it's, it's this picture of this intense longing. Um, and then living God. I, I do want to add some commentary here because my initial reaction to living God was probably not the correct interpretation. I thought living God because of the stream of water. But if you look at the parallel in uh, Psalm 84.2, we're not going to have time to go there, but you might want to jot it down. Um, it is actually, in, in the same context, 
a longing for the presence of God in the temple in Jerusalem. And we're going to see that in context in the next verse as well. Um, that that it, it is a longing to be in God's presence, to have a relationship with him in the midst of this suffering. Um, and so the living God really points to that. I want to be where you are, God. Um, and that's, that's very, very carefully chosen words there. So that's, that's very important. Um, and I kind of alluded to this already, but where do, did Old Covenant believers see the face of God, um, which is a literal translation in verse 2 there? When shall I come and appear before the face of God? What is he longing for there? The temple in Jerusalem. Right, yep, the temple. And when Mike, I know Mike's taught on this, in, the, in this class, but the significance of the temple is what? That is where the presence of God. That is the holy of holies. That, that is God's dwelling among his people. And we can't really understand that. You know, it's because we have access to God through Jesus Christ, praise the Lord. Um, in the new covenant, uh, it's different. But in the old covenant, this is where they met. This is where they gathered to be with presence of God. And so you see this intense longing of the psalmist. Let's go on to verse 3, um, which kind of further paints a picture of the persecution that the psalmist is suffering from. Um, my tears have been my food day and night. I'm glad that uh, the psalms don't shy away from being honest. <laughs> uh, this is a picture of desperation. Right? Um, not not only, or actually, let me, let me just ask then, uh, what does this give us a picture of the psalmist's mental, physical, emotional state? Um, what do you get from that picture? Sorrow. Deep sorrow, right? Yeah. Despair. Despair, yeah. You're thinking of, I mean, if this is, if this is to be taken literally... Um, which I think, you know, it, it is. He's saying, I'm not eating, I'm so vexed within me that I can't eat. Have you ever been that upset? you upset about something, you lose your appetite. Um, that's the picture we get here. It, not only is he not eating, but his tears are what he is tasting. That's his only food. Um, so it's just this, again, this inner anguish, this depth of despair that, that we're seeing. This isn't just a small suffering that the psalmist is going through. Um, on top of that, what, what else is the psalmist facing at the bottom of verse 3? He's not only experiencing inner turmoil, but external hostility as well. Right, exactly. Uh, what are they saying to him? What are, what are his persecutors saying to him there? Where is your God? Where is your God? Right. It's kind of a keeping... Uh, you know, you picture someone already in anguish and then keeping turmoil on top of that. It's this chiding. Obviously, his persecutors saw that he was going through suffering because they noticed enough to ask him or, or say or chide, where's your God now? You're already going through this. Where, where is he? Um, and I think that's really significant. He's not only cut off, but he's experiencing persecution. Yes, a form of mocking or scoffing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. So that, that's what I was. Is it, it, they're not like genuinely asking. It's, are they, they're scoffing and mocking him. It's kind of like what they're doing. Is that what they're doing? 
that's the picture we get here. You can see in some parallels okay. that it is more of a mocking. Okay. Um, but even if it was an honest question, we can, we can say obviously that there's no issue with where God is from the psalmist's perspective. He's, his presence is in Jerusalem, right? Uh, he, he wants to be there. Um, but from a, a perspective of I'm not there, that's the problem, right? I am not where God is. Um, and, and I long to be there. So, yeah, that's a great, great question. You know, Peter, in his letters, he, he addresses that as well. Yeah. Exactly that. The, you know, the mockers will say, you know, where is, where is your God? Mm -hmm. And it's also what you see when Christ went to the cross. Um, I don't want to jump there too soon, but you see them taunting, right? Um, save yourself. You're king? Save yourself, right? Um, this, this persecution, mockery on top of separation, we see that emulated ultimately in Christ as well um, in the fulfillment. So that's um, really, really key. Um, good comment. So let's move on to verse 4 here um, just to keep things moving along. <clears throat> verse 4 kind of gives a nostalgic glance. We see the psalmist almost pining over glory days, I guess is probably the best way to put it. Um, if you read it, he says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession in the house of God with glad shouts of songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. So how does the psalmist deal with this vexation? And before, before you comment on that, I do want to point out one thing that wouldn't be so obvious here. Did a lot of study on the second line, as I pour out my soul. Um, does anyone have a different translation of that? Mine is ESV, but does anyone say anything different there? As I study, yeah. Mine just says, as I pour out my heart. As I pour out my heart. Um, as I did some study on that, uh, several commentators brought this to the forefront, so I think it's worth noting. Uh, the literal is, as I pour out my soul into my soul. And why that's significant, um, Spurgeon commented on this. Uh, he said, merely to turn the soul in on itself, to empty it from itself into itself is useless. How much better to pour out our heart before the Lord. Um, so we actually get this picture initially of the psalmist not really productively working through this, of, of keeping himself upon himself is literally what the Hebrew translates to. Um, you, can, you can take a literal, my person overwhelms my person. Um, and I don't know if you can associate, if you've ever been through intense suffering, where you're almost so worked up in your mind that you are just rolling things over and over and over and it's not productive. Uh, that's the picture we get here, is I'm pouring out my soul into my soul. How is he doing that? And look at the second part. Um, how is he uh, pouring out his soul into his soul here? What is he remembering? He would go with the throng to the house of God. Good. What's a, what's a throng? The only context I have with this is the hymn, Oh, that with yonder sacred throng, we at his feet may fall. Uh, crowd, a multitude, right? Good. So we get this picture of a festival, a multitude of people. Well, and I think of him thinking of better times, you know, yep. that he was looking at the good back in the, back in the day, or 
exactly the picture we're getting here. Um, the psalmist is kind of pining for those, those days. Uh, long it probably, probably needs to comfort him to give him a sense that maybe he can return to that. You know. Yeah. Maybe that's the point, yeah. Absolutely. I think there's two things that, and Mark, I think what you point out is, is really key. It could be that it's unproductive memory, but it could be also that the psalmist is hoping, looking forward as he remembers, hey, this is this may not last. I, I hope that I will be back with the fellowship of the Lord um, and with God's people. And, and so it could be productive as well. It could be kind of a turning point, which we start to see. This psalm has an ebb and a flow to it. It's high points and low points along the way. And so we kind of see this rise potentially into verse 5. Good. So let's look at verse 5, uh, which is the refrain here. <clears throat> there, the first 5 is mirrored in verse 11, so I have that on your handout. And it's the exact same wording, and also in 43, verse 5. The exact same words in all three. Um, so we see those three refrains. And what's really interesting here is the language shift takes place. Um, and if you take note of it, what... Who is the psalmist addressing? He kind of flips it. Who's the psalmist addressing here as he asks this question? At first, it seems maybe it's directed towards God, but as you read it, what do you take? Himself, right? Yeah, so he's asking himself this question. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Why, why do you think he does this? What is the purpose of asking self a question in the midst of anguish? I hate to say it, but I think it's the next part. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right. Yeah. But, I mean, no, go, go for it. I think he should know better, is what he's saying. You know, and haven't we all been there where we just spiral into something and we start thinking thoughts, you know, we're not thinking about the truth? Yeah. And then, so he's, I think he's rebuking himself. That's good. He needs to, like that. That's good. Yeah. Kind of like he's facing up to, like he's just committing to looking at his problems instead of just ignoring them. He's right. just like trying to address them actually yes. like in the way he should instead of just kind of ignoring them and just going off and exactly in his despair. Yes, I think that's exactly the picture we get. Yeah. So what what is his answer then? Let's look at the substance of his answer because this is key. Um, the refrain outlines the passage and this is key to the whole passage. So what is the substance of his answer. We see kind of three key points here. What's the first answer he gives? Hope in God. And, and that is so key, isn't it? Um, anytime you're going through suffering, anytime we have, as we prepare for suffering, preaching truth to our own soul, um, that's what the psalmist is doing, right? He is saying, here's how I feel, Here's what I know is true. Um, and that's how he's battling. He's drawing up arms, right? Um, the, the literal could also be translated wait for God, which kind of gives the same picture. I'm waiting for that day when I will appear. It's kind of an answer to verse 2. When shall I come appear before him? Wait for God. Wait for his timing. Um, and, and that's really, really key. 
So why? why? Why do I hope in God? There's a four there. Hope in God for why? I shall again praise him. Again, we see this future hope uh, of being able to be before God, be with his people, praise him again. And that's really key. And, and lastly, why shall I again praise him? What, what gives me reason for praising him again? The very end. My help, my salvation, my presence. Notice the, the my there. This isn't just a God. This is Elohim in Hebrew. This is my God. He takes it personally, um, feels it deeply. My salvation, where do I turn? My rock. Where do I turn? My God. Um, and that is so key, really key, when we're going through persecution, suffering, trials. So let's, um, if I can just take a minute here to pause. Um, we kind of have gone through the first half of the psalm. What have we learned so far? Um, do you have any comments? What are, what are your thoughts as far as reflection on those verses goes? doesn't happen when just good things come about. Yeah. <clears throat> this, this is longing is not simply with the trials, with the, the suffering goes away, that God takes us away. Mm -hmm. It's obviously okay to pray for that, but his deepest longing is the, the separation he's experiencing from the temple worship mm -hmm. and his desire to return to God. And it's how often um, trials, suffering, whatever, happens in my life, my focus is simply on the removal of that thing rather than mm. letting that thing drive me to a longing for God even more and press me closer to Him. That's good. And worship. Amen. And you know, so, this thing on the, uh, when he talks about the living God, <clears throat> I'm wondering too, you know, all throughout the Old Testament it talks about the false religion gods are dead gods, <clears throat> the idols, the, uh, the Dagons, the, you know, uh, and that, uh, that Israel had the true living God, mm -hmm. the only living God. All the other gods were dead. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. His, his, his focus changed from the moment, in a, of, you know, in a, not the circumstances, but it was hoping God, for I shall again praise him, and remember, I will remember him. Mm -hmm. So rather than looking around and being right here. And he's, you know, he seemed like he was really, really alone and he really was not in with the throng. He wasn't in Jerusalem. I don't think he was confused about that. Yeah. He was in terrible, sounds like a terrible circumstance. That's not where he put his hope. He put his hope in remembering God and that eventually he will listen to his voice again. That's really good. I think both of, all of your comments is really what struck me is um, how often I, when I'm going through trial or suffering, just immediately start my prayer with, God, please take this away, <laughs> you know, and uh, let, this, let this be gone. And I don't think it's certainly not sinful to pray for those things to be removed, but 
um, as Mike said, as, as David pointed out, I mean, um, where is our hope? What is our ultimate hope? Is it even if this suffering takes us to the worst place our mind can imagine, which is death, probably on this earth, we are we will appear before God if our hope is in Christ, right? That is the ultimate hope that we can put our put ourselves in salvation through Christ. And so, even the worst possible outcome on this earth, as we can, as Paul says. Um, you know, to live as Christ and to die as gain. So um, that is ultimately our hope. So let's move on to verse 6 here. <clears throat> it's not over. Uh, the psalmist, it's not, uh, it's not like a one-and-done battle, like most of our trials. Uh, before it gets better, it gets worse. And uh, you see that here in the Psalms where verse 6 kind of plunges the psalmist into the depths further. If you think that you couldn't go any further, the psalmist goes there, and uh, we see that in verse 6. So um, let's just read. I'll, I'll read verses 6 through 11 quickly here. Uh, My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon and Mount Miser. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All of your breakers and all of your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. <clears throat> While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you a turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation. So let's look at verse 6. What does the psalmist recall specifically as he reiterates that his soul is cast down? So it's not a long answer. (laughs) And we've kind of already alluded to this. I remember you. And again, um, we've already pointed out, we see his focus here has not changed. Uh, he is focused on Christ, on God. Um, that that uh, part underneath there kind of just gives us a geographic picture of where the psalmist probably is. And that's why I put that map at the beginning of the handout. Um, you can see he is most likely separated, and that's why he's saying this here, from the land of Jordan. Hermon, uh, Mount Mizar. We don't know exactly where that mountain is. It means little mountain in Hebrew. Um, it's kind of uh, nobody knows where it could be, but it's probably up north, 125 miles north of Jerusalem, somewhere thereabouts. So he's separated. Um, then let's look verse, at verse seven. Spend a little time there because this one is a little bit not intuitive when you read it. Deep calls to deep. Uh, this is a hard phrase. And um, I just want to give a little picture here since it's not obvious. There are more explanations of this phrase than there (laughs) probably are answers. (laughs) Um, Many commentators uh, think that this means that uh, kind of just uh, basically the depth of our despair and the depth of God's mercy are calling to each other. So basically, I'm at the bottom of the ocean in my depths of despair. God is deep in his fullness and love, and there's a chasm between us. And that seems to fit contextually, potentially, uh, that it's pointing out that separation, again, 
from God. Deep calls to deep. My deep longing is calling to the deep love of God. We see the deepness of God referred to in other psalms. It could be that. Um, it could be that uh, one, one commentator pointed out the upper deep, uh, the rains uh, from the flood, kind of referring back to the Noahic judgment. Uh, the upper deep is calling to the lower deep, the waters below, and the psalmist is caught in the middle of God's judgment. Uh, that, that's kind of one interpretation. Regardless, I think the, the main point is that we see either of those interpretations alluding to the fact that the psalmist is separated and he's caught in this intense trial. And that's really what that, that line is telling us. Deep calls to deep. This is a depth of anguish. Um, that we're seeing here. <clears throat> and then secondly, you see at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and all your waves have gone over me. Um, so what picture do we get here? Um, has anyone been swimming in the ocean and, uh, and you get an undertow, like a strong undertow? I don't know if you ever experienced that. Uh, like when your feet go out and the wave is pulling you, uh, there's almost nothing you can do, right? It is sweeping you into the next wave, right? Have you ever been just battered by a wave? <laughs> I'm picturing like some family vacations here. <laughs> um, well, you know, you see the uh, um, picture of the surfer with those mountain waves, mm. you see it? You go, and then this, they just... Just complete. Yeah. And, and it's amazing how strong water is, right? And until you get in the ocean, you don't realize, I mean, water is intensely strong. That's the picture we're getting here of the psalmist being swept by undertow, hit with another wave, swept by undertow, hit with another wave. I can't get my footing, is what he's saying. I mean, the breakers are rolling over me. You see that? Uh, the waves have gone over me. All of them is what he says. You see the word all there. This is just, I mean, everything that, that God can throw at me, he's throwing at me. Um, and then we get this real gem in here of the word your. Um, and Mike pointed this out to me as we were studying. Uh, you notice the word your in front of all of these. Your waterfalls, your breakers, your waves. What's the significance of that? I guess that he thinks God is bringing it on. I mean, that it's God that's continuously doing this to him and allowing this to happen. Right, yeah, absolutely. And what does that teach us? Um, you know, as, as we go through the other, I think it would be easy for him to say, you know, this, this is just happening to me. This is just, I'm a victim of circumstance, I'm whatever. Uh, but he acknowledges God's sovereignty. You see this in Job too, right? I think that's, that is highly important, and we see that transition in verse 8, if you want to look at the first line there. By day, the Lord commands. What else does he command? His steadfast love. As much as these trials are God's hand, and, and he uses evil for good, to bring about the good in his people, his sovereign love is his command. And they're both at his command, and they're meeting in the middle, and they're comforting me in the midst of this. And that is so key. That's so comforting. And that's his comfort. And you can kind of see that in the question in verse 8. Um, 
let's keep moving for the sake of time. How does the psalmist tread water while he's being tossed around by the waves? Uh, verse 8 gives us some key descriptions here. Um, I kind of gave you just a short outline. See if we can uh, guess this, like bring you back to high school, guess the fill in the blanks. <laughs> and, uh, I can't help it, I'm, I'm, I'm a teacher. <laughs> um, so we want to do what? Uh, what does the psalmist do? Remembers, right? That's the first thing we see. Remembers God's character. What else? <clears throat> singing songs. Singing songs, right? Singing songs of praise. At night, his song is with me. And uh, many think this may be literally the psalmist is singing another psalm, like Psalm 8, perhaps, or one of the psalms to comfort his soul. Um, and that is key. Right? These, are, these are really good patterns that we can emulate and learn from. And then lastly, we see what? Prayer. A prayer to God, which is really what this whole psalm is, right? It's an expression to God. He doesn't sugarcoat things. None of the psalms do. He is, he is expressing himself. He's not afraid to go to the depths and express himself. Here's, here is how I'm feeling. But he doesn't stay there, does he? He battles that with these truths. Let's take 9 and 10 as a lump, um, and then and we can wrap up with some application. 9 and 10 kind of go together. Um, how does the psalmist answer? He has one more kind of uh, expression here to give. Um, verse 9, I say to God, and this is key, my rock. So again, we, we've already said this, but he's turning to God and realizing, recognizing, the waves are battering me, but where is my rock? It's one of my favorite hymns, you know, Christ the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Um, and, and the psalmist is acknowledging that even though your breakers are coming, you provide the rock for my shelter. And uh, Matthew 7, uh, building the house on the rock, uh, uh, and when the winds come and the rains. Mm. So That's good, yeah. yeah. And, and we see that here. Um, the psalmist has one more expression. He says, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning? Um, how does the psalmist's soul answer? What, what questions arise? Those are the things that we're seeing him wrestle with. Uh, not necessarily sinful. We see questioning God through the whole psalms. But it can be, you know, if we question our circumstances, accusing God. Um, so we certainly need to be careful about that, but it seems as though the psalmist is expressing himself here um, through his questions of, of his circumstances. And then verse 10, um, how bad is the situation? Uh, we've gotten the picture already, but it is a deadly wound in my bones. Um, and why is that? Because of his persecutors. My adversaries taught me. Well, he said to me all day long, where is your God? So we see that chiding again again over and over and over and then lastly we turn back to the refrain um, I know I went through this quickly but um, we get to the refrain and it is the exact same as verse 5 what does he do? he speaks to his soul again he asks his soul a question why are you suffering? why are you cast down? why are you at turmoil? and then he reminds himself of his hope again the three pronged hope that we already highlighted Hope in God, wait for God, I will again praise him, my salvation and my God. And if I can just 
kind of give this wrap up and then we can maybe have a few application points. Um, as I read this, a great comfort uh, that I have is remembering Christ. Um, new covenant believers, as new covenant believers on this side of the cross, we suffer a little bit differently. Um, not in, this, in our circumstances, but in our hope. We have the fullness of God. We have Christ as our intercessor. We don't have to wonder when the intercessor is coming. He came, and he's coming again. And Christ is our hope. Christ experienced, if the psalmist experienced this depth, Christ experienced it tenfold when he went to the cross. His disciples left him alone. He was cut off from the presence of his Father by bearing our wrath that we deserve. Christ experienced it more than we did. And we have to remember this. And I think that's what certainly gives us comfort, right? In the midst of our trials, in the midst of worst-case scenario, we, we die from this. We will be with Christ, and we will praise him again. And that is such a comfort. Um, comments, thoughts, um, certainly encouraging for, for my soul. Um, I know I have a lot of application questions, but for the sake of time here, um, any kind of general application thoughts, yeah. Interesting um, that he's asking a lot of why questions at the end, like why is this happening? Why, is, why am I so discouraged? Mm -hmm. um, and it's good to remember that when we are tossed by the sea and just completely thrown upon all that, the undercurrent and everything, and we can stand on God. We sometimes wonder why is God allowing this to happen? But to understand that maybe God is using this circumstance to bring me down from any higher lofty thought I have of myself in self trying to do and God saying no me focus on my love not anything that you can produce but it's my love through you mm. so he's using the circumstance to tear down the stuff that we're trying to build up that's so good it reminds me of a Spurgeon quote one of my favorite he said I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages mm. <laughs> how, how eloquently he puts everything you can't come up with I mean, but, but it's exactly what you said is God teaching us to and if he has to he's going to force us back to the rock isn't he <laughs> my power is made perfect in weakness and that's what I wish I could say I learned everything when I was riding the waves <laughs> that's right <laughs> as a former surfer I'd seem to learn more than <laughs> Amen. well I'm sure there's a lot more we could say but let me wrap us up in prayer so we can um, get over to the service if need to. Heavenly Father how we love your word, uh, how it reminds us that we, in the midst of circumstances, or if they are coming, uh, can learn to kiss the wave that throws us against the rock of ages. It's all about Christ. It is all about him. It's all about his glory. And we thank you for inviting us to be reconciled and be a part of that story through him. We pray this in his name. Amen.